Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. For decades, milk has been fueling women marathon runners as the OG performance drink. And in the new docu-series, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers takes us on a journey of self-discovery as she meets several groups of empowered women runners to find out what drives them, what fuels them, and what pushes them to go the distance. And in the process, she learns that she too can be a distance runner. You can watch the series at runningsuckstheseries.com and register for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Welcome to Gastropod. I'm Nicola Twilley. And I'm Cynthia Graber. That music you're hearing and the crowd you hear rumbling around, that is from the Night of the Radishes in Oaxaca, Mexico. And here we go, off to Latin America again. That's right. A couple of episodes ago, I took you to Colombia to see the microbe agricultural revolution in action. And now I'm bringing you with me to Oaxaca. But this is not just a vacation postcard. Cynthia gets to make us all jealous. It was a lovely vacation. Okay, enough. We are the podcast that looks at food through the lens of science and history, and that is what we are going to do today. Right. In this episode, we are serving up the history of Oaxaca's legendary Night of the Radishes. And we'll get a little bit into the science of entomophagy, by which I actually mean eating grasshoppers, which is completely normal behavior in Oaxaca. Okay, so... Cynthia, night of the radishes, I am picturing all sorts of crazy things. I'm people picturing people dressed up as radishes or a big radish feast. What actually goes on and, and why? So the night of the radishes is this festival that takes place where they actually they carve radishes. It takes place in the square, in the main square of Oaxaca. And there are these displays that are set up all the way around the square. And you have people carving these incredibly, incredibly complex scenes using just radishes. Okay, so wait a minute. Radishes are quite small. How are you fitting a whole scene onto a radish? Is this just micro, micro carving or do they have special radishes in Oaxaca? They do have special radishes, but it's also, it's not like they just have one radish and they make the whole carving out of that. I actually kind of thought the same thing before I went. I was trying to picture how a whole scene would be carved out of a radish. But what they do is they grow radishes in a variety of sizes, and then they they carve them and they put them together with toothpicks, and they might hang them from the display. And so you can have an entire village or a bird flying or a huge god or a Virgin Mary, you know, all these really amazing elaborate scenes. And you have the shades of the radishes, so you have the whites and the pinks and the purple and then even the greens of the radish leaves. It, it, they use kind of every part and just make these unbelievable scenes with radishes. Okay, so it's multiple radishes per scene. I see. Okay, so it, we haven't answered the why question, and what is the connection with Christmas exactly? 
So this is interesting. You know, before I went, I had heard about the Night of the Radishes and I had seen some images of, you know, of a little bit of of the designs. But I also, I was wondering the same thing. Um, And I I tried to find somebody who could talk to me about this. I did actually find a historian in the city. He's actually the chronicler of the city of Oaxaca. What a cool job. I know. It's crazy, huh? So the government appoints somebody and you get that job until you die and you're not paid for it. It's kind of outside of your regular work. I take it back. Not so cool. I know. His name is Ruben Vasconcelos Beltran. Um, He's an older man, and uh, he's been in this position for about a decade. And he actually even got me a chapter of a book I had been looking for that's only in Spanish, at least as far as I could find it, called Noche de Rabanos, Night of the Radishes, um, Oaxacan Christmas Traditions. And he he copied a chapter about about the festival for me. So, okay, so where does this come from? So what's interesting is it was officially founded in 1897 by the head of the town. His name was Francisco Vasconcelos. I actually don't know if they're related. Um, But the truth is that the the genesis of it comes even maybe hundreds of years before that. Because Oaxaca is an agricultural city. It still is today. But then it was really small and it it was very agricultural. And apparently there's this tradition of carving fruits and vegetables as a way of kind of attracting people to your stalls or making things beautiful. That's a big deal in Mexico in general. Like I remember I you know remember I spent 2 weeks uh, hanging out in the the central market in Mexico City. The art of vegetable and fruit carving is alive and well there. Let me tell you. There were these giant watermelon monster faces and um, all kinds of, you know, amazing sort of rosettes and flowers and those flowers that's exactly that's that's just what he said to me and here's here's a little bit of uh, of his voice telling me about it himself porque es una gente un poco creativa imaginativa con el fin de presentar sus productos a la gente bonitos para que los comprara He's saying that the people are really creative and imaginative and they like to present their products in beautiful ways um, and and actually that in in the book the, of, about Noche de Rabanos, it says that while this event is more recent, you know, as I said, it started officially in 1897, the tradition it celebrates is probably as old as markets itself, kind of just what you saw in Mexico City. And, and artisanship is a huge part of the culture all over Oaxaca. So you also asked, why Christmas? Yeah, why Christmas? Come on. So I was curious about Radishes that too. have nothing to do with Christmas in my book. So I I asked Ruben about that also because I had no idea, you know, what this in the world this had to do with Christmas. And he told me something I didn't know anything about, in part because I'm neither Catholic nor Mexican. But apparently on Christmas Day in Mexico, you can't eat meat. Oh, really? Huh. Yep. I had no idea. I actually turned to Tim, who was with me at the time and comes from an Irish Catholic family, and it's not the same with Irish Catholics. But apparently in Mexican Catholic tradition, you don't eat meat on Christmas Day. So vegetables have an even bigger role in the Christmas meals. And so there would be these huge markets in Oaxaca around Christmas that were even bigger and even more elaborate and more important. And so I think it was because of that that this, this festival started springing up around Christmas. And there's one other thing that I read in the book, and it, it looks like it also harkens back to an ancient Zapotec winter celebration, which is the birth of the sun. So maybe it kind of brings in a little bit of native religion, too. Uh-huh. I see. Okay, so it's all out with the vegetables at Christmas time. Were they mostly religious carvings as well, or was there all sorts of things going on? Did you have a favorite? So they, it actually was broken into three different sections. There was the traditional section, the modern section, and then the kids section. And the traditional one wasn't all religious. It was 
because there were religious scenes. You'd have, you know, scenes of like the floats that they have going through the city on Christmas Eve. You'd have scenes of like the Virgin Mary or the Nativity. But then you'd also have scenes of of gods, of um, of native gods. You'd have scenes of the Day of the Dead. There's a picture I have of the Day of the Dead that you can see online. So those were all really fascinating. Uh, and then you get to the modern one. Here's a Here's a bit of tape of us from the market. Okay, so we passed all the religious ones. And now we're in all sorts of crazy things. I've seen elephants and a painter of dreams and calaveras y diablitos, little devils. Oh my goodness. Bio, biodiversidad de Oaxaca. It's gonna say it's one lizard procreating. Where? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think that's just a lizard on a log. So we were looking at biodiversity scenes and all these animal carvings. There was a whale, and in that one they used uh, vegetables other than just radishes. The whale had a blowhole that was a broccoli, so that was pretty great. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Other vegetables allowed. I know. There were some. Somebody had one one woman had one carving of a woman. She had cabbage leaves as her skirts. And there was an image of a guy who was painting. And the painting was made of radishes, too. But I think my favorite one, it might also show that my one of my favorite things is mezcal, which is uh, the the local spirit (laughs) there. Um, But there was a, a guy called El Señor de Mezcal, which is like mezcal man. And he has a huge eye in the middle of his forehead. And he's kind of this monster. <laughs> oh, wow. Pretty cool. A mezcal nightmare, sounds like. Um, and who is doing this? Is it? Is it just, are there radish carving elite that do this every year or does everyone get in on it? I don't actually know exactly who the people are. We were pushed kind of quickly through the lines. Uh, we went during the day. It officially starts at night. So when we were there, we still saw people kind of setting up and carving. And actually, I have some photos of that, too, that you can see online. Um, the When we went, we had to wait a little bit in line, and we still were with kind of throngs of people crowding through it. So I would kind of ask a question here and there. Um, and one person told me that, you know, his parents hadn't done it. He was just interested. Another person told me he had been thinking about his design for more than a year, and it takes you know, 24 to 48 hours to carve it. And they're spritzing water on them to keep all the colors fresh. So I'm not exactly sure, but it definitely seems to be all locals and all people who are kind of interested in it. And uh, when it started, the way it worked was that local people would be growing the radishes themselves and they'd carve their own radishes. But now the government owns a separate plot of land where all they do is grow those particular radishes because some of them are tiny, but some of them are kind of pumped up with extra fertilizers and they're huge, huge radishes. So, you know, that that isn't the, the it's not the people who grow the radishes who then do the carving that's split up at this point. And you've actually you've reported on big vegetables before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole art and science to growing you know, the biggest vegetables. I know radishes, I think of them as tiny, but if you look, you know, there are world record radishes that are the size of people's heads. So you can do it. And um, I I spent a lot of time actually earlier this fall finding out how people do it with pumpkins. They call them pumpkin roids. They have these special mixes that they juice up the pumpkin. They feed it sort of a combination of compost tea and, you know, fertilizers of various sorts. There's a lot of genetic science to it, too. It's all about what seeds you're using, because these are plants that are bred for size, not for flavor or anything like that. Oh, yeah, you can't. uh, I I was told, Ruben told me that they're really bitter, but uh, I also was just told you can't eat them. You know, these are made just for the carvings. Well, and what's interesting is they're mostly water, of course. So that's the thing is just can you pump them fast, uh, full enough of water fast enough but not so fast that they split. So that's the real art and science of giant vegetables is your water dosage. Hmm. 
and and making sure that your plant, I mean, because they can be growing so fast that the plant cell structure is stressed. So it's, it's a real sort of balance of making sure they grow fast enough, but not too fast to split. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't get to see where they were grown, you know, and also they would have been harvested already for the festival by the time I got there. I got there just the day before the festival happened. But, you know, they'd have some that were kind of like huge, huge sweet potatoes and then some tiny ones. And the great thing about carving radishes is, one, you know, they're, they're fairly easy to carve in, in terms of they're just not, not super sturdy or too hard to get your knife through. But also there's so many different colors that come through as you carve them. So Yeah, really pretty. But so no one's eating these. So is it a just a display or is it some kind of com- contest? It is a contest. Uh, the top prize seems to be, I, I did the math, it looks like it's about $1,000 that you can win. Oh, um, but not bad. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a pretty serious contest. And and they clearly, they have so much pride in it. I mean, when you go back at night, when, when it's officially going on, there are lines that snake around. It would take hours to get through. And there are musicians, there are bands playing, there are people bouncing balloons up in the air. I mean, it's this crazy festival scene. And what else is really interesting is that there's so much pride, and there's so much pride in Oaxaca in their traditions. Ruben told me there's this one section of it that's for the kids to start learning how to carve. And I actually walked through and I saw these very cute little, like, introductory carvings that the kids did. I have one picture of a kid who let me take his picture with his carving. You can also see that online. Um, And then he also, you know, I have a quote from him here. You can hear it. I'll I'll play a bit of his voice. Cada año no se ha dejado de hacer. Y es muy bonita porque lógicamente la gente camina, platica, comenta... So he said that since 1897, it's been, you know, more than 115 years, he told me it has never been missed and that it's so exciting and it's this huge local party. And and he says it very much belongs to Oaxacans. It isn't done anywhere else in Mexico, just in Oaxaca. I love it. I'll never look at a radish the same way again. Coming up, we will move from inedible radishes to edible bugs. But first... Yeah, later this month, we are doing an entire episode on breakfast. Breakfast. You will be shocked at how much history and science there is on the topic. And so we have a favor to ask. We want to know what you think about breakfast. What's your perfect breakfast? What do you end up eating every day? Or maybe you're a breakfast skipper. And what's the worst thing you ever ate for breakfast? You can write to us at contact at gastropod.com, or you can call in and leave us a message at this number. Do you have a pen or a uh, keyboard ready? It is 310-876-2427. Again, that's 310-876-2427, or send us an email. Okay. So here we go, back to Oaxaca. And here we can talk a little bit about science. It's only a bit of a stretch. We're going to talk about eating bugs in Oaxaca. So, uh, Nikki, you and I have both covered eating insects before. And as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, the technical term is entomophagy. Yeah. So, I mean, eating insects, I mean, I think most people have seen the news, you know, we should be eating more insects because, I mean, for a variety of reasons, but they're they're four times as efficient at turning feed into food that we can eat, into muscle. 
um, than, say, a cow. Mm -hmm. They have more than double the protein per ounce of a cow. They are so much more environmentally friendly, you know, in terms of emissions and methane and water use. And And they can, like, live off of food scraps and animal manure. So they really are way more environmentally friendly than a lot of the meat we eat today. Kind of amazing, actually. I I spent some time talking to the guy who runs the first uh, human-only cricket farm in the U.S. It's in Youngstown, Ohio. And... uh, What's amazing is you can grow 20 million crickets in a downtown, you know, small-sized, he's just redone up an abandoned warehouse. And so you can be growing your protein downtown in the city and cutting out a lot of the problems of even supply chain that go on with, you know, trying to ship and refrigerate meat around the country. Very low emissions, very sort of... uh, carbon friendly. It's just getting around to eating them. Right. Which is where my experience in Oaxaca is going to come in, because I think I have some funny tape for you to listen to about that. So to set it up, I had tried eating bugs once before. I wanted to try to get over my own cultural kind of ick factor. And so I bought one of those new protein bars that uses the powdered cricket, you know, cricket powder, basically. Yeah, EXO. Yeah. Have you eaten those before? Yeah, yeah. So I hadn't eaten them. And I thought, okay, I'm I'm just going to give this a try. And even that just mentally was a little bit of a challenge. When I ate it, it tasted just like a power bar, basically kind of dense protein, kind of chocolatey. And it was fine. So once I ate that, I was like, OK, OK, I've eaten bugs. The, the thing about that bar and, and about a lot of the, the products using insect protein, which there are more and more of, is that a lot of them try to sort of hide their insectness by grinding it up into a powder and, and then putting it in a protein bar or whatever. Whereas when you have an insect in Mexico, you tend to be, you know, the antenna are visible. Oh, not just the antenna. <laughs> the antenna, the legs, the eyes, everything. It's a... And that's more disconcerting. I, I mean, in some ways it's less disconcerting because you know what you're eating. And then in some ways when you get a wing stuck between your teeth, it's more disconcerting. <laughs> Tim said afterwards, well, you'll hear the tape, but he said he had these fears that like a leaf that got, you know, that was in his mouth from a different dish, that it was actually a cricket leg. We we called them crickets because that's what they looked like to us, but they are actually grasshoppers. Right. After the night of the radishes, after we went to see the carvings, we went with a couple friends of ours out to lunch. They they had been at the festival with us, and then we went to lunch with them. And we went to this restaurant called Quince Letras. The, the chef is the head of the local slow food movement in Oaxaca. And she brought us out all these amazing dishes. And one of them... It was, it's this big leaf of yerba santa. You'll hear me say yerba santa uh, in the tape. And it, it's this really lovely green, and it has this kind of amazing anise flavor to it. It's one of my favorite flavors in Oaxaca. And it's covering this thick, melted Oaxacan cheese. And underneath is this entire layer of chapulines. And they're about uh, maybe like an inch long. I need to, uh, I should have saved a little mezcal, too. Oh, I still have a little. You can, you can have a little mezcal here if you're... Uh... Oh, yeah, there's... Um, little grasshoppers all the way through it with the cheese and the yerba santa. It's crunchy. <laughs> a little salty, a little like pepperoni on a pizza. <laughs> yeah, so let's see, uh, let's see what I think. Okay, it's a pretty obvious little cricket there. It's very clearly cricket. Cricket hanging out on there's a leaf no, and some cheese. It is not no, hidden. There's no hidden. It's, oh. It's good. Well, I love the yerba like, santa. I mean, that's our, it tastes like a pepperoni from a pizza. That's what it tastes like. Hmm. I'm not getting so much. I'm just the cheese and the and the yerba santa is so good. 
Okay. My very first bugs. Oh, and boy, are they obviously bugs. You feel those legs trying to escape, right? <laughs> Pepperoni on a pizza. I can't believe it. You see, now that's not what they were like for me. I feel like more like potato chip. They're just this salty kind of crunch thing going on. But, you know, maybe you got some more meaty ones. What, what, did, <laughs> what did you think? So I, I, they have this kind of very distinctive savory flavor, and I can't come up with anything other than savory to describe it. Tim thought they tasted kind of the way paprika smells. It's kind of this warm and toasty because they're roasted in oil with salt. And they're, you know, when you see them, they're hugely popular all over Oaxaca. And they come in different sizes from kind of little tiny ones to what we ate, which were the bigger ones um, hiding under all our cheese. Uh, and, And they did, they're just kind of crunchy and savory and salty. So maybe that's what he meant by pepperoni. I don't know. (laughs) Okay, hanging out just outside. This is the after the crickets discussion. So when I was a kid, we had an old house with a rather dank basement that had crickets in it. And it was always a really rather creepy place for me to go down the stairs into the dark, dank basement and hear those crickets. And all I could think as I'm looking on the plate is... Here's just a, a plate full of all of the things that scared the crap out of me when I was little. <laughs> and now I'm going to eat them. And it was a little difficult, frankly. But they're, they're a little smaller than the crickets that we have in our, in our basement. No, they? they were perfectly recognizable cricket-sized crickets. And <laughs> I just expected them to get up and start hopping away. <laughs> but it tasted fine. It's it tasted the, fine. It was the seeing the it. It was they. They were so obviously crickets. Maybe if they filleted them a little bit, <laughs> if they chopped them up into small pieces, chop them up, it would be fine. Because uh, these uh, were like a complete lightly sprinkled <laughs> cricket uh, Dust. dusting on the top would be fine. But they were a whole staring at you, <laughs> sprinkled all over our salad. They weren't even sprinkled. It was as though they climbed onto our dishes and died there. So will we be eating chapulines again on our trip? I think with time I can grow (laughs) to see them as tasty, crunchy, salty things rather than bugs that scared me as a child. I'm I'm very glad we tried them, and I will definitely try them again. <laughs> well, I think that's a, that's about as good with as we can get. A little more mezcal before. <laughs> hey, it was my first the time mezcal too. Mezcal helps with the chipolinas. I love it, as if they crawled onto our salad and died there. I think pre- <laughs> presentation is potentially the key to getting Americans to consume more insects. Perhaps I think so. So that's the thing, you know. The next night we went back to our friend's house. We went to our friend's house for um, Christmas Eve dinner, and one of the dishes Gabriella made, she had a salad, and she sprinkled the little tiny ones on the salad. And neither of us, you know, we barely noticed them. They were just kind of crunchy and savory. So Tim ate them. I ate them. It was no problem. But, you know, I think I speak for many Americans when I say it'll take me a little while to get over the kind of ick factor. You know, as, as, as Tim was describing, where it looked like they were crawling out of our cheese, uh, that was a little much. Well, I mean, it's not really surprising. I mean, we live in a, in a country where a whole fish is kind of a freaky thing for a lot of people. And here you have something that basically looks like it could get up and fly. Uh, and you, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, the companies in the U.S. that are focusing on this are focusing on the powdered version, and that is smart. Um, the flavor is still great. I had a powdered cricket made into pesto, 
mm. that just added a whole new level of like nuttiness and deliciousness to the pesto. Highly recommend it. And the other thing to bear in mind, science-wise, is that it is so humane. You to to uh, to slaughter a cricket slaughterhouse is a beautiful place. It's basically just a giant freezer. You stick the crickets in it, and they go to sleep. So no, you know, no pain, no blood, no guts. So for a lot of people for whom meat is like increasingly problematic, you know, suck it up and have at least in powdered form, I say. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. And it's interesting what you said about fish because that doesn't bother me. Like whole fish, and even if you think about it, a lobster is just basically looks like a really big bug, right? So, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. You can get used to these things. I remember as a kid, a whole fish freaked me out. Like the way the eye sort of melts, disgusting. But, you know, as a grown-up, I let my uh, palate help me get over the actual visuals of a giant fish and deal with it. And I definitely am up for that with bugs, too. But we uh, uh, just had them in those two meals, and so we'll see if I eat them again in their whole form in the future. Yeah, less easy to find in Boston, to be honest. That is definitely true. For the moment, I think I'll be sticking with the cricket protein bars. I'm daring you to have it for breakfast and report back in our next episode. (laughs) (laughs) If we can find me some whole bugs to mix in with my breakfast, I'll do it. Okay. And that's it for this week's show. We are still officially on our break between seasons. So it's going to be another three weeks before we kick off season two with an awesome new episode all about breakfast. But make sure to come back in three weeks. You will not want to miss it. And from then on, we'll be back on our every other week schedule. And if you want to stay up to date, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or on your favorite podcasting app. And uh, you can sign up for our email list at our website, gastropod.com, or you can follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. And definitely go to gastropod.com to check out Cynthia's photos of the radishes. They are weird. Plus, you can see some crickets that look like they died on Tim's salad. (laughs) That is true. And I also want to thank Tim Buntel for being such a great sport and uh, letting me tape his thoughts on uh, eating grasshoppers. For drying them in the first place. I don't know that my husband would. And uh, as you know, we love hearing from you. So send us an email or call us to give us your feedback and tell us about your best and worst breakfast experiences. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Till next time. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, (laughs) but they choose to do it. In the new docuseries, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.